How is everybody doing? Did you guys recover from uh, chili? Anybody have too much chili in here? No? That's why they give it in little cups, you know, so you don't get kind of out of control. I saw a couple people getting out of control. I won't name names, but if you missed it, you got to come next year. Uh, we do do it every year, and the competition is pretty feisty. was a little nervous for a second there when we got a couple of the names mixed up. I didn't, I will admit, but we got it all straightened out, so anywho. All right, so we're going to hop right into this, um, if you guys are okay with that. Um, how many of you have ever... Uh, watch any game shows, like you have some favorite game shows that you watch. Does anybody have anything like that? Does anybody remember a, a show back in the day? It's called Let's Make a Deal with Monty Hall. Does anybody remember that show? And usually he gave the option, if you remember, why don't you choose door number one, door number two, and then there was door number three. Yep, good, yeah. Uh, and then there was, uh, maybe he didn't like that show. Later on there was uh, The Price is Right. And I, I personally like Bob a little bit better than I do Drew, but I'm just kind of picky. Maybe I'm biased. I like the original host. And then there's also Deal or No Deal. Does anybody like Deal or No Deal? It has the suitcases, and you get to choose which one you want. But I think these are great shows. Wouldn't you agree? Those are all great shows. But the, the truth of the matter is you never really know what's behind door number one, door number two, or door number three. And if you were to kind of do the math, which I'm not that great at math, but when you have those options, you only can get, like, there's a one-third chance that you're going to win. Okay, that means there's a two-third chance that you're going to lose. And the host, you may not know this, I was reading about Monty Hall, the host actually has little things that they try to do to lean you towards not picking the right door. Did you know that? I found that out the other day by reading. I was like, man, that's kind of rigged. It's kind of messed up. Um, maybe you don't like any of those. Have you ever been to the fair where they have the, the frog launch onto the lily pad, right? Or they, uh, my little girl the other day, she got me to do the lobster, and I kept telling her, I'm like, look, we're not going to be able to get any progress. We're not going to win, so don't set yourself up. But she still wanted to do it, and, of course, I didn't even come close in trying, and I really tried really hard. And the basketball thing is the same way. Right? Some of you might not know, but the rims are bent a certain way so that you can't actually make that basketball. If you make it, props to you, but you're not going to get it three times in a row because it's just, it's not supposed to be, it's not supposed to work out in our favor, right? And I think that's the unfortunate part is when you try these games, it's kind of how I felt with her. I spent the money and I was like, well, let's just kind of be done, okay? Let's just be over with this. The odds are not in our favor. Let's, let's try again another day, Okay. Um, 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, For God will never give you the spirit of fear, but the Holy Spirit who gives you mighty power, love, and self-control. It says he, it will never give you the spirit of fear. I think the King James says that God hasn't given us the spirit of fear. Um, yet I still hear uh, friends, preachers, different people. Ooh, uh, I still hear preachers saying that we have to maintain an attitude of being afraid of God. Has anybody ever heard that before? You have to maintain this reverence and holy, they'll even say um, it's a positive type of reverence or fear of God. Um, they'll say being afraid of God is what keeps us from sinning. They'll say if you, the more you're afraid of God, the more you're not going to sin. 
or being afraid of God is what keeps us out of being prideful. It keeps us humble, and therefore, we won't go out and just do whatever we want to do. But I want to tell you today, nothing further, or nothing could be further of the truth. Now, I'm going to give you a disclaimer today, if you guys can hang in there. And this disclaimer is, some of the things we're going to talk about today, some of you have maybe heard. Uh, We seem to be redundant around here, but I think it's for a good reason. And so I'm going to be saying some things that some of you have heard, but I promise you there are others that have maybe never heard these things. Um, And I want to do kind of a gauge test. You can raise your hand if you want. If you don't want to raise your hand on this, it's okay. I'm not going to, I was one that if anybody tells me to raise my hand in church, I'm not going to raise my hand, okay? If you let me make the option, I'm giving you the option. All right, so I'm going to ask some questions. You can raise your hand. I've got my hand up on most of these, but How many of you, before you go to pray, you think these thoughts? Have I confessed enough lately, right? Before I go to pray, have I confessed enough? Or have I done enough good compared to what I've done bad? Have I done enough good today before I go talk to God? Have I done more bad? Or have I controlled my thought life? Have I controlled my thought life good enough? Have I thought on the thoughts that are true and honest and pure and just and lovely and of a good report with virtue and praise? Have I done that? Have I done enough renewing of my mind so that I can actually talk to God and have a conversation with God? Or maybe uh, these thoughts could go through somebody's head, but have I gone to church enough? Like, have I been consistent enough with my church going? Or have I tithed enough? I'm going to ask God for a really big thing, and have I done the proper tithing? Has the proper amount gone out of my bank account so that I can actually talk to God about him giving me what I'm asking for? And I'll tell you, when we ask these questions, in essence, we're asking, how is God going to respond to me? Like, how is he going to respond to my request? Is it going to, am I in his good graces today or am I not in his good graces? Have I done enough good or have I not? And basically, what's behind door number one, two, or three? I'm not really sure, right? Um, maybe, has anybody ever played the claw game? Does anybody know what the claw game is? It's where the thing, the clock basically comes down. Some of you are like, okay, now I got it. And it goes down and it picks up the little stuffed animal. My kids call them stuffies. And it picks it up and then it brings it over and it drops it in the, the thing. Yeah, what, what's the movie? Uh, the Claw, right? What is that? Toy Story, way to go. The Claw. So when I first got a job at Walmart, uh, they installed this new claw game. And everybody kind of knows that those games are just a waste of money, Okay. If you don't know that, you're finding out today that they are a waste of money. And I remember I was like, man, I think it was like 50 cents a try. And I thought, let me try. They had some baseball uh, players in there that were like stuffed animals. And I was like, if I get one of those, it's probably worth something. And so I went to go try it. And I, I put a dollar in. And then I found out the first try, I won, right? Like I got something pretty decent. And I was like, well, let me try. I, maybe it was just beginner's luck. Let me try it again and see if I get something. And the second try, I got something. And I was like, well, that's pretty good. I ought to try it again and see if I, it's kind of like the, the slot machine, right? I'm like, I'm doing pretty good so far. Let me try again. And I tried again. I think I ran through $10. And every single try, I actually pulled something out. And I thought, so I'm walking away out of the front of Walmart, the arcade, carrying all these stuff. And I'm just giving them as I go to people that I knew there that I worked with. I took some home to my sisters. I couple, kept a couple of the baseball people. And then I found, I'm like, let me give it a little break. Maybe it was just 
you know, whatever by chance, and I came back a week later, the same thing happened again, right? To the point that every time that I went and played this claw game, I was taking stuffed animals home. So, and, and I kept thinking, I'm like, why isn't anybody else trying this game? People are passing this. I mean, the things that were in there were decent items. But the truth of the matter is, people didn't know that when you played that specific game that you were going to win. It was because they didn't realize that every time you play that game, now whatever reason, maybe it was just, they didn't realize it was rigged for me to win. And um, Ephesians 1.3, it says, How we praised God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every blessing. I believe the King James says every spiritual blessing in heaven because we belong to Christ. Now, most of the time, when we think about God's love, right, when we relate to God, we, we actually tend to relate to God based off of what's going on in our life. Like if our situation is really good in life, we really feel like God loves us. Can we agree? Like sometimes it's like, man, every door's open, everything's happening, I got plenty of money in the bank, my family's getting along with me, people are liking me, I've hit enough green lights on the way to work. Uh, when I went to the gas station, the gas prices are lower, I'm sure God loves me more. I don't know, just everything kind of works in our favor based off of circumstances, right? That's what we tend to think. But truth is, uh, I believe that some people don't really feel like God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Like, I, I don't think that most people believe that God has rigged the game of life in such a way that we always win, And I think some people actually think that it seems like no matter how hard I try, no matter how often I go to church, no matter how often I read my Bible, no matter how often I talk to God, I feel like I always lose. But I want to tell you, despite how we feel and what we see, what we're currently seeing, and what we might be going through, your life is rigged to win. And today and the next couple weeks, I want to give us some different reasons why the game is rigged so that we win, win, win no matter what, okay? Romans, uh, well, first of all, it's the number one reason that God is because God's love is demonstrative. God's love is demonstrative. I kind of talked about that a little bit at Christmas, but I'm going to go ahead and go back through. Romans 5.8, it says, but God showed his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, before we even knew him, when we were at our worst, he already loved you and me, right? He loved us before we knew him, before the foundation of the world, right? And what that means to me is God's love isn't contingent on us. It's not fluky. It's not flighty. It's not flaky, And it's not dependent on you and I, right? And how do I know that God's love is not dependent? Because verse 8 says, while we were still sinners. While we were still sinners. Uh, Now, uh, when I first met my wife, okay, I was early 20s. I would say I I would consider myself to be broke, okay? I don't know if anybody has ever been broke before. This was in college when I first met her. And I was in college, and if you know how it is in college, you're trying to save in every way that you can, okay? And one of the ways that me and my roommates unfortunately decided to save money was we were going to give each other haircuts. (laughs) 
right? And the only experience we ever had was the experience that we had when we tried it, okay? So his haircut looked a lot like my haircut, and we had this line that went around the back of our head that I thought was kind of stellar, because I was like, man, I didn't spend any money on that haircut. Now, when my wife met me, she thought, I could probably work with that, <laughs> even though something's going on there, right? Same way with my clothes. Uh, all of my clothes were all pass-me-downs. I had high waters. Does anybody know what high waters are? Three-inch high waters, right? They were Tommy Hilfiger, so I was like, these are Tommy but they were three inches above my shoes. Why? Because the guy was much shorter than me, okay? Then the other, um, the other thing was that I had was uh, I didn't have enough money when we would go on dates uh, to pay for her meals. In fact, she would always volunteer that she was going to pay for her own meals, and I was like, well, that's fine, because I couldn't afford it even if we tried. to be washing dishes, and we'd never leave. Um, I didn't have much. In fact, most of the time when we went out to eat, she took me out in her vehicle, right? I couldn't pick her up. My car was broke down, and I, didn't, I couldn't even afford to pay for insurance for, for my vehicle when I met her, right? And I say that to let you know that when my wife and I met, she demonstrated her love towards me, right? Joey, we know about this, don't we? Like, our wives demonstrated loves. Despite where we were, they demonstrate our love. And in that same way, where we were, God demonstrated his love. In other words, we had nothing to bring to the table, okay? And he demonstrated his love towards us. Uh, so I, I'm saying this word sinners, right? Everybody's heard this word sinners. And most of the time you're like, oh, man, it sounds like an awful word. Where the word sinners in the Greek means harmontano, which the, which the root word is harmatia, which means to miss the mark. It means to miss the mark. And Paul was saying that when we were in ourselves trying to hit the mark, we were missing the mark. We were throwing, like basically, you guys see this dartboard up here, right? I was going to have Ryan come hold it for me, but he was too scared. I don't know why. I'm a pretty trustworthy guy, right? So I know you think I'm going to throw. I'm not going to throw. Don't be afraid. But... When we were trying it of ourselves, right, we were throwing all the darts that we could, okay? We were trying to make, to hit the mark, and every time we were missing the mark altogether. We weren't even hitting the board, okay? It, picture like a car, if you were to drive a car, and you're supposed to make the turn, and you just drove the car right off the cliff, okay? That's similar to what our own effort of perfection and obeying God's law would be. Okay, we just drove it right off the cliff. All right, Hebrews 8, 6, in the New Living Translation, it says, but now Jesus, our high priest, has given a ministry, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood. For he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. That word given in the Greek, it's a wild saying, so I'm not going to try and say it, but to, it means to properly strike, to hit the mark, to basically spot on, to hit the bullseye, okay? Romans 5.9, let's keep going. That's the next verse after verse 8. It says, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God, so we have now been justified by
by his blood. That word justified means dekaio, which means declared righteous, okay? We have been declared righteous. The blood of Jesus has declared us righteous. The blood of Jesus has taken the dart, right? Has taken our own attempt. And it, it has, he has taken the dart as if he went right for the bullseye. Let's see if I can do it. There we go. Wow. Great job, Matt. But he has taken the bullseye and hit the bullseye. And then he pointed at us and said, hey, he hit the target. He did it. He declared us righteous. Every effort that we could have ever done, every effort that we could have tried, we didn't even come close. But Jesus took the dart from our hand, which was our own attempts, our own way of making ourselves righteous, our own way of justifying ourselves, and he justified us through his blood. That's why 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old is gone, the new has come. Right? This is why your sins don't make you a sinner. Your sins don't make you a sinner. There's no falling back into sin that makes us a sinner. There's no falling back into it. It's kind of like, it'd be like if, I don't know if you've ever fallen into mud. Has anybody ever fallen into mud? I've fallen into quicksand. I know you're going to not believe this wherever Scott's at. This is another one of the stories. But I've actually gotten into quicksand on purpose, Okay. I know. And I let the quicksand go all the way up to my stomach, right? And nobody was walking by and was like, that guy, he is quicksand. He's dirt. He's mud. No, I was still very much me. I was still very much myself. Now, did I need a hand of somebody pulling me out and getting me out of the quicksand? Sure, absolutely. But it did, just because I was in the mud didn't make me any, much, any more mud, and just the same way with sin is if you mess up, if you sin, if you miss the mark, it doesn't make you a sinner. You are forever declared righteous. Let's read Romans 5.8 in the Passion. It says, but Christ proved God's passionate love for us by dying in our place while we were still lost and ungodly. And there is still much more to say of his unfailing love for us. For through the blood of Jesus, we have heard the powerful declaration, you are now righteous in my sight. And because of the sacrifice of Jesus, you will never experience the wrath of God. You will never experience the wrath of God. When you come up short today, when you still, still feel like your circumstance or your situation is up against you, I want you to know you will never experience the wrath of God. You are forever righteous. This is because the righteousness is not of, of your own. It's absolutely of Jesus. The second reason the game is rigged in our favor is number two, God's love is consistent. God's love is consistent. I've heard people recently, like you would think this was a long time ago, but I've heard people recently say that if you don't take a day out to rest and observe the Sabbath, then God is going to remove his spirit. I've also heard people say that if you don't do a 21-day fast at the beginning of the year, then God can't speak to you, okay? And my question is, what about, how about... Uh, God will never leave you nor forsake you. It's funny how that scripture goes out of, out of all of a sudden it gets pulled out. They forget about it when we want people to do this or that. 1 Corinthians 13, 4, and we're going to read 4 and 7. It says, love endures long. 
I want you to know God's love, it endures long. Verse 7, it says, love never fails, it never fades out or becomes obsolete or comes to an end. How many of you ever worked with people, right, where you, they were maybe your boss or maybe they were people that you worked with and some days you felt like they were in a good mood and some days you felt like they were in a bad mood and you never really knew. You kind of like walked in on eggshells a little bit. I remember I had a boss out in Arizona that any, anytime anybody took a vacation, that person was going to get in trouble when they got back for whatever reason. I don't know if it's because the boss wasn't on vacation. So we tried to all fight to plan our vacations based around that boss so that when he took a vacation, we all got back and we're like, oh, man, look, look we're, all, we're all good. But it was based off of his mood. And I want you to know God's love is not moody. It's not up. It's not down. It's consistent. Hebrews 13.8, it says, Jesus, the anointed one, is always the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? God's love is the same. It's consistent. It's never fa- it never fades, and it endures long. The third reason the game is rigged in our favor is number three, God's love is forgetful. God's love is forgetful. Now, that sounds kind of like a, something negative, But I'm going to show you Hebrews 8.12. It says, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Aren't you glad about that? Uh, Unfortunately, uh, some of us can remember things that our parents did to us a long time ago. Some of us can remember things that our children have done, right? But God's love isn't like that. I I can recall play-by-play things that my mom and dad did as a child. And it is unfortunate for them because sometimes I'll remind them of those things, right? And they did the best that they could, okay? When When I was a teenager, my parents had split up, and my mom bought whatever car she could buy, okay? And she bought, I don't know if you know what this vehicle is, but it was a Ford LTD 1989, okay? We called it the tank, It was yellow, and it literally looked like a tank, other than the fact that it was yellow. Maybe it was like a Sahara tank, okay? And so I had a rule for my mom, and I kind of had that all the way through middle school, but I always would tell my parents, never pick me up in front of the school, okay? Just a rule. You know, it's a good rule. Like, usually parents have rules for their kids. I had rules for my parents. And and it were good reasons. I didn't want to be embarrassed by the vehicle that my mother was driving, Okay? And so my mom, one day, I walked out of Melbourne High School, this is in 11th grade, um, and I walked out, and she was parked right in front of my high school, okay? She just parked, she was the only one. She's sitting there, she's got the windows down. Now, this Ford actually had mechanical issues, okay? And the mechanical issues that she had, she couldn't actually get the vehicle fixed, And so the mechanic told her, look, every now and then this vehicle's going to stall, and instead of fixing it, what you have to do is you have to turn on the vehicle the best you can, and when it kind of fires up, you have to blow the carbon out of the back of the car, okay, by pushing the gas all the way down, all right? Now, this had happened outside of in front of my school, but today she decided to park in front of my school and then turn the vehicle off. So when I walked out, I leaned into the window, and I said, what are you doing here? I've told you to never park in front of my school, right? And my mom said, it's fine, just get in. So I went to go get in, and sure enough, it was the day where the car was stalled. And and she said, I'm going to have to blow the carbon out. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. 
I said, all right, I'm going to walk back over here. I'm going to hide under the stairs, and I want you to meet me down by the football field, okay? So, again, this is at 2.30. All of, like, all the cool kids were out front, right? And all my friends and everybody, and I'm like, I'm going to go hide under the stairs. So I went and hit on the stairs, and I saw my mom. Sure enough, she puts it in neutral, starts the car, goes to blow it out, and it sounds like this. Wow! And it's echoing through my entire school like a big drum, right? And then you see this huge amount of black smoke come out over all of my friends and everybody that I knew at school, and everybody's now coughing, okay? And I'm still hiding under the staircase, and I see her just put it in drive and pull forward, met her down by the football field. I said, don't you ever do that again, right? And I say that to tell you that I will never forget play-by-play every moment that, that she did, right? But the good news is, God, he has forgotten everything that we've done. He does not hold our sins against us. Hebrews 8, 12, I'm going to read it to you again. It says, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. It's amazing God has numbered our hairs. He knew us when we were in our mother's womb. He knew us before the foundation of the world. In fact, God knows us more than anybody else in the whole world, yet he forgets our sins. He has forgotten towards, as far as amnesia towards our sins, right? Um, and I would say we, we, it doesn't really make sense that God doesn't relate to us based off of our sins. And the reason why is we have a system here on the earth that everything is based off of do good, get good, do bad, get bad. Would we agree? Like when, when you have a baby and the baby says dada or mama, they get a yay, right? Or if they go to walk, you say yay, they eat some rice and they kind of spit it up, but then you still give it back and they do okay. You say, yay, right? They just do these basic things and they learn that and all the way through middle school with sports, with academics. Then you get into college and then you get into your job and then your job, they'll give you promotion based off of you doing good and they'll give you a demotion based off of you doing bad. But God doesn't relate to us. He doesn't have the same system as we do. Romans 8.35, it says, do you think anyone is going to be able to drive a wedge between us and Christ's love for us? There is no way, not trouble, not hard times, not hatred, not hunger, not homelessness, not bullying, not threats, not backstabbing, not even the worst sins listed in scripture will be able to separate us from God's love. John 1.29 it says the very next day, John saw Jesus coming to him. This is when John the Baptist was in the water. He saw Jesus coming, and John cried out, look, there he is, God's lamb. He takes away the sin of the entire world. Now, I was preaching about this probably a month ago, and I actually had uh, a pastor. I'm not sure what his background was. If he's here this morning, I'm glad you're here this morning. We get to uh, have a, more of a longer conversation than we did. But he was very upset about that scripture right there. And when he's walking out, pointed his finger in my face and said, I understand what you're saying, but I want you to know it's still up to you to keep yourself holy. You cannot keep or you cannot be holy based off of or whatever. He said, you cannot just be holy. You have to keep yourself holy. And my question, my question for that right there is, if that was possible, how do we keep ourselves holy? Right? If we couldn't make ourselves holy, 
How then do we keep ourselves holy? It it reminds me of the conversation that um, Paul was having with the Galatians. You guys remember this conversation? He said in Galatians 3.1, he said, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? There's another translation that says, Who has put a spell on you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, kind of harsh words, right? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Like, do you think that you have the capability to not only make yourselves perfect, but once you're there, do you think you can actually keep yourself? He said, there's a spell on you. You need to wake up. The game of life is rigged because of, number four, God's love is unconditional. It's unconditional. I know we say this word a lot, and you might say, well, Matt, I can't seem to find the word unconditional in the Bible. I don't see it anywhere. In fact, all I ever know is that Jesus gave out a lot of conditions, and he did that over on the Sermon on the Mount. Matt, it seemed like he was just kind of giving out conditions as to God's love. And let's just go there. Um, Matthew 6, 15. It says, but if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive you your sins. Not, but I, I do want to tell you, not everything that Jesus said was directed to us as believers. Especially the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know if you noticed the Sermon on the Mount, but I felt like if you, if you read it, verse by verse, it's Jesus is just constantly stepping the bar up. And he's talking to a group of people. And one of the verses that he says in there is that you're to answer to the Sanhedrin. Now, have any of you ever talked to the Sanhedrin? I don't even know where a Sanhedrin is. I don't even know what that word really means other than the fact that it's, you can tell it's some top dog people that you're supposed to go talk to. And so if we were to do that, then we would be, then all of the Sermon on the Mount would make sense to us but it's not addressed to us. You can tell he's specifically talking to Jews. You can tell he's talking to a group of people that have thought over and over and over, I can reach that mark. I can hit that. I can hit that target every time. And he's stepping it up all the way to the point that he says, go ahead and be perfect like your heavenly father is perfect. Only to help them realize there's no way that you and I can hit the target without Jesus. Uh, Colossians 3.13, it says, don't be angry with each other But forgive each other. If you feel someone has wronged you, forgive them. Forgive others because the Lord has forgiven you. I'm going to close with this. But my question about that is, what changed? What changed in that moment, right? What changed from um, forgive others for your father will not forgive your sins to forgive others because the Lord has forgiven you? It was the cross, The cross is the symbol that lets us know that something has changed. The word unconditional was more displayed than it was conveyed, okay? It was more, instead of said, it was displayed by what Jesus did. Ephesians 4.32, it says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in God forgave you. In Christ, God forgave you. That's past tense. It's not telling us in order to be forgiven, then we have to forgive. He's saying, because you are forgiven, you can then therefore forgive others. You already have received forgiveness. It's past tense.
God's love and forgiveness is as a result of him forgiving us, not us earning the forgiveness ourselves. Hebrews 10.14, it says, And by this one perfect sacrifice, he made us perfectly holy and complete for all time. That's pretty good news. I don't know how we would ever think that we could hit the target ourselves. I, I don't know about you, but I want to be able to sit back and let Jesus hit the target for me every time. And he has, according to this, it says that he has, uh, he was the one perfect sacrifice, uh, perfectly holy and complete for all time. Let me pray over you guys, and we are going to dismiss. Father, we just thank you, Father, for each and every person that's in here, God. We thank you, God, that you have completed us. You have made us holy. You have made us righteous. Scripture says that you declared us righteous. And so we don't become anything other than that. We get to rest in who you are. We get to rest in what you've done. We get to rest in your love, God. God, your love paved a way so that we get to know you better. We get to spend more time with you. We get to just be able to talk with you. And it's not all about how do we resist this or how do we overcome that, even though those things are important and we know that you overcame them for us, God. But we get to rest in your love, rest in your forgiveness. And God, I, I just trust you today. I thank you, God, that you've spoken to us. You've given us wisdom, God, to be able to walk through life with you. You're for us and you're not against us. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. And we trust you with that today. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Thank you.